I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Okay, grab your Bible. Go to 2 Timothy with me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're continuing on in this uh, book. Uh, if you're a guest today, we finished up 1 Timothy, and then we just kept going right into uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Again, context is so important, the who, what, when, where, and why. Every time you read the Bible, you got to get the feel. You got to get the vibe here that the Apostle Paul is in chains. He's in a Roman prison. We're not exactly sure about the exact time frame, but we know that there is a sensual, uh, lust-filled, power-hungry emperor, 27-year-old Nero, uh, who is sitting on the throne of Rome. We know that Rome is burned. We know that uh, the Christians have been blamed. We know that Christians are losing their lives uh, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, this is a moment where your faith becomes real. Will I step forward? Will I be counted? Uh, will I be ashamed to say, I'm a Christ follower. I know Jesus. And so we last Sunday spent just a minute talking about how that this is a moment we feel for us. I think most of you would agree with me uh, that we feel this moment of our, our faith. It's getting real. I'm not saying that it hasn't been real, but it certainly feels like the stakes are just getting higher and higher every day. Anybody feeling that? I see a few of you. And so we're looking at this book from that perspective to uh, listen to this man of God, this church planner, this pastor, as he writes to another young dude named Timothy, who's probably about 35 years old. Uh, he's not a strong, outgoing leader. Uh, it, history tells us from what we know that he was probably uh, easily intimidated. Uh, we see from Paul's writings a peek into his life that he uh, very likely had some physical ailments. We're not even sure if those physical ailments were related to the stress of the job of being a pastor and what he was dealing with, but no doubt the stress in Ephesus in a very a hedonistic environment, uh, Christians trying to live out their faith. Uh, Paul here at the end of his life writes, this second letter to Timothy. Now, Joe read the text for us a minute ago, but I want to show you there in verse number nine uh, where I'm drawing the title of the message today of purpose and grace. God is working his purposes, and through his grace, he is fulfilling his plan for our lives. Look at verse number nine. He said who he saved us, and he called us to a holy calling not because of our works, here it is, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Purpose and grace. Uh, I had a wonderful grandfather, I uh, mentioned him a few weeks ago about how we had a lawn business together. Another thing my grandfather really enjoyed doing, uh, he would go to car auctions and he'd look around in the neighborhood and he would find uh, a, a vehicle that somebody wanted to get rid of 
we'd take that vehicle, bring it into his two-car garage, and we'd fix it up and paint it and then sell it, and uh, we'd make a little money. And he liked to have me around to do that because he said, Tim has good eyes. Tim has good eyes. Now, today he would be very disappointed in me, but uh, what, what, he would, what he meant by that was, was he was, when we were painting those cars, I would be able to see uh, that there were no runs or that everything was smooth uh, as we painted it. One of the things we would do uh, is sometimes those vehicles would, uh, you know, have different things that it needed. It might be beat up a little bit. And so granddaddy would get on the phone and he'd call around to different junkyards uh, to find a place that maybe had the particular vehicle we were working on. I remember very clearly in my mind, uh, one time we had an old uh, mustard-colored Impala, if you can picture that in your mind, and uh, it needed a fender uh, in order for us to paint it and have it right, and so we found one at a junkyard. Uh, we arrive at the junkyard, and we just begin to walk through to find that exact vehicle. Now, how many of you have had the illustrious privilege in your life of visiting a junkyard? Wave at me. Okay, you've been to a junkyard. I'm really surprised at how many of you have done that, all right? It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, you're walking around, and here's an old rusted-out truck or a beat-up car. Here's a, a, a wrecked vehicle, and they're just kind of sitting there, and uh, their, their shelf life is gone, right? They're not serving a purpose. They're not getting uh, someone from destination A to destination B. Uh, they're sitting there. They're rusting out. In some cases, the weeds and the the grass are growing up through the vehicle, you know, and uh, there it is. There's the vehicle that we needed, and we look, and there's the exact model, and we need that We need that fender. So we'd take that fender, take it back over to the garage. We'd put it on a totally different vehicle. We'd sand it, get it all ready, and then we would spray it with that beautiful candy apple red paint that my granddaddy thought everyone would empty their wallet over, right? So here's that fender. It's over here in a junkyard. It's serving no purpose, no purpose at all. But in that moment, we take it, and in the right person's hands that knows what they're doing, that fender now becomes purposeful and is used on a different place. I give you that little illustration to show you that there are many people in this world that are struggling through life, if you will, their lives are rusting out, all right? And they're really serving no purpose. They're just, they're just merely existing. And God reaches down in his grace, and, and I'm reminded of Psalm uh, 139, that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. We have a purpose in life. And God takes us by his grace as broken sinners that need a Savior, and he, and he changes our lives, he saves us, he forgives us, and then he sets our life on a new path. And as long as we have here on this earth, we now have a new purpose. And that purpose is very closely tied to the grace that he has given us. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Many, many people around the world can sing the words that John Newton wrote centuries ago. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What beautiful words about the life of a man who was a wretch. 
He was a sinner. He lived a wicked, debauched, ungodly life. He was not fulfilling the purpose for which God created him. And then God saved him and changed him and set his life on a new path. And he wrote about understanding the purpose and the grace that Christ had in his life. That's the theme kind of of this text. And as we look in it, I want you to think about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a more beautiful uh, Christ-centered passage in the whole New Testament than John chapter 1. And I want you to see verses 16 and 17 where it talks about Christ coming to us. And it says, for from his fullness we have all received, what's the next few words? Grace upon grace. John chapter 1 verse 16, say it again, grace Come on, y'all are not really excited about it. Grace, grace is what we need to be saved, right? But grace is something that we need in our lives every single day. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth is in Jesus. Now, I want you to look in the text with me as we think about this uh, matter of grace and this matter of truth, and we think about it getting real for us and our call to live out the gospel of Christ in a very difficult environment. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 8 through 12, that if we're going to fulfill our purpose, you can't be embarrassed. You can't be embarrassed. You can't be ashamed. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Let me ask you, are you proud in a good kind of way to be a Christian? Are you not ashamed? (laughs) Not ashamed to be a Christian. Now, Now, here's what I know. I know that I'm just like the apostle Peter, and so are you. Peter is with the Lord Jesus, and he says, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. Lord, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll serve you all the days of my life. And then one night, he's outside of Caiaphas' house, standing by a fire, warming his hands, and a little maiden girl says, hey, aren't you a Christ follower? Aren't you a Christian? And how did Peter respond? No, 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 I'm not a Christian. You've got me mistaken with someone else. And then again, hey, we saw you. You were were with this man. You were traveling around with him. No, 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 no. You've got me mistaken with someone else. Three times Peter denied the Lord. Anybody in the room today that would uh, be willing to confess with me that at times you get in certain places where you're hesitant to speak up for the Lord? Some of you have a job that requires, it requires that you are censored from what you can say about your relationship with Christ. You have to be careful, right? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're going to get put in some hard situations, but do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Sometimes we talk about our testimony We do not have a testimony apart from Jesus. Our testimony is not, this is what I do for the Lord. 
or this is who I am. Our testimony is what Christ has done and what he is doing in our lives. Don't be ashamed. Church, hear me today. Now is not the time for Christians to back up and be apologetic for what we believe. I see this. I sense this. I feel this. There are some Christians today that I observe and that from time to time I'm even around and it's almost like their mentality is we need to be working very hard not to offend someone. I'm not talking about our disposition. Again, y'all hear me say that a whole lot around here. We're not talking about our disposition. If you have a bad disposition, you need to repent of that. Ask the Lord to forgive you and to help you be the kind of salt and light that He wants you to be. We're not talking about disposition. We're talking about our position. Our scripture tells us that our gospel in and of itself is offensive. If you step forward and you say that Jesus Christ is the only way, if you proclaim the exclusivity of Jesus, you're going to get pushed back. But in that moment... May we never be ashamed of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did our Lord not say, he, he who denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father? Did Jesus say that? Yes, he did. So I cannot, I will not be ashamed. How is that possible? Well, sometimes we're ashamed of brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul said not only are we not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but Paul said, don't be ashamed of me, a prisoner of the gospel. You read through the book of Corinthians and you can see it that there were some that said, Paul, you're going through what you're going through because you're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. When he faced opposition, was even thrown in jail, there were some in and around the church that tried to say that that was happening in his life because of sin or because he wasn't living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It sounds a whole lot like the prosperity gospel that's being preached today. The prosperity gospel in our culture, and unfortunately I was talking with someone the other day that is just swept across the continent of Africa. This prosperity gospel that if you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus and He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you would ever have any trouble in your life, if, if you were... Uh, to lose your life by execution because of your faith, if you were thrown in prison, or you were to have some sickness come into your body, it's your fault, it's not his fault. A prosperity gospel says that when you come to Christ, everything is going to be okay. How many of you know that's not the gospel of the Scriptures, right? How about Job? Job chapter 1. Job was a man that loved God. As a matter of fact, it says, Job had done no evil, and God put him through that test and through that hardship. And when he came out on the other side, he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then you get into chapter 2, and what do you find? You find three of Job's friends who are saying, blaming him and saying it's his fault or telling him to question God when actually God was just working his purposes in his life. You know why that was the case? Read the rest of verse number 8. Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed, but be ready to share in the suffering for the gospel 
by the power of God. That word share there is many times translated in the New Testament, koinonia, fellowship, but here that is not the word. The word here is the same English word from which we get synchronize. Synchronize your life. Line your life up with the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Church, hear me. It's God's plan and his calling on the Christian body to suffer for his namesake. That's not popular preaching today. It's just not. But Paul is real with Timothy. He's not hiding anything from him. He's like, Timothy, don't you shy away. Don't back up. Don't go hide. You synchronize your life. You step forward and say, here's my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And if that consecration requires me to suffer, to go to prison, or for the Apostle Paul in just a very short amount of time for him to be beheaded publicly, Paul said, I'm willing and I'm ready and you should too. How is this even possible for someone to believe this or to think this way? Look at verse number 9. Again, our key phrase, it's only possible for someone that has been saved. Church, don't ever be ashamed or afraid to use that word saved when you're in conversation. Now hear me, hear me. There's nothing wrong with telling people you've been saved. That's a Bible word. Yeah, we say born again, converted, and other things, but the word saved is right here in the Bible. We are saved from our sin. We are saved from an eternity separated from God. Anybody in the room today grateful that you've been saved from yourself? Yeah. Sin, eternity, ourself. We have been saved. Paul said that Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel, through the power of God, he saved us and he called us to a holy calling. And that calling is not by our works. It is a work of his purpose and His grace in us, which He gave in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now, please hear me today. Please, please, please hear me. Salvation is a work of God in our hearts. Salvation is God working His purposes and His plan in our lives. You do not become a Christian. You are not saved unless you have a calling of the Holy Spirit. We are not preaching a true gospel, a pure gospel, the gospel of the Word. If we would present our Lord and Savior like the shoe store where you go and try on a pair of shoes and see if they fit. And if you don't like them, you just send them back, right? Well, these or maybe a pair of shoes that you wear for a couple of weeks, you know, and you, you get a blister and you take it back. No, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I saw someone in town had a shirt on that said, take a chance and try Jesus. That's some really, 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 did I say really bad theology. You don't just try it. You don't check him out. You don't kick the tires. Salvation is not a work of man. Let me go a step further. It is not something you do. It is not by works. Hear me. You can take communion at every church in this town 
and be lost as you can be. You can have multiple baptisms. You can have your name on a church roll and not be born again. You're only born again when you have the holy calling. That's when the Spirit of God wrecks your heart and mind and shows you that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. You hear me say every Sunday in this church, every Sunday I say this, every person must acknowledge that they're a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess their sin and confess Him as Lord. Those three things never happen unless you have a calling. A call from God to salvation. Notice that this purpose and this plan He gave us in Christ before the ages began. Boy, this is so good. This this blesses my socks off. To know that before creation, God had my salvation planned out. Oh, yeah. You see, God does not operate like us. He doesn't have an Apple Watch. And He doesn't have, every year He doesn't get a new calendar from State Farm Insurance to put on the refrigerator. God is outside of time and space. Romans chapter 8 has a word in it that makes Baptist folk just so nervous. And I don't know really why because it's a Bible word. You you ever thought about that? We, we We are Bible believers, line upon line, precept upon precept. But you let someone bring up the word predestination and we all get nervous. It's a Bible word. You know what it says? And whom he called, he predestined. Whom he called, he predestined. In other words, when I was 13 years old, in God's sovereign work of grace, of his purposes and his grace, he had the day and the moment and the hour when I would have a head-on collision with the Holy Spirit. And he would show me that I needed a Savior and I was born again. Man, I'm so thankful today. Can you just think about all the people around the world that have never even heard the name of Jesus? never had the opportunity to call on His name to be saved. And here you and I are today. We are blessed. The gospel has made it to us. We've got a complete canon of Scripture. God has been so good to us in our frailty and in our weakness. He has saved us and given us a purpose. Weak, imperfect, insignificant people in the world's eyes. And yet He's chosen to call us and to save us. You just might as well go ahead and be blessed by that right now, okay? Just be blessed by that right now. If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know that you're a nobody that's been saved by somebody. And you know the purposes of your life are not because you're great or you're awesome or you're a superstar. It is that God loved me before time ever existed. I love Oswald Chambers. Some of you read him. He said this. He said, all through history, God has chosen and He has used nobodies because their unusual dependence on Him made possible the unique display of His power and His grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and their resources. 
You see, when you really get a hold of the work of grace, that he's called us and saved us, verse number 10, that Jesus came, the God-man in the flesh, he revealed himself, the appearing, the epiphany of our Savior. When Jesus came, he abolished death, and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, in a world where it feels like the pressure is on us, we can smile and have joy moment by moment, day by day, because we know that the worst thing today that could happen to us is that we close our eyes and we enter right into eternal life forever. That's why we can handle death. That's why we can handle heartache. Is because we know this world is not the end. There's more to the story. Jesus abolished death. Hear me. When Paul wrote this in the middle 60s, it meant something to Timothy, and it meant something to the Christians because they were dying. They were dying. They were being martyred for their faith. And he wanted to remind them that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And the only way that happens is through the gospel. Paul said, this is verse 11, this is what I've been appointed to declare. This is what I've been appointed to preach as an apostle and as a teacher. It's my job to explain this. And it's also my job to suffer because of this. Look at verse number 12, which is why I suffer as I do. There's Paul. He's saying, I'm, I'm in this hardship right now because this is God's calling on my life. Through this suffering, the gospel is going to be declared. And then I love this. It's like, it's like the bookend, verse 8. It's like a bookshelf, all right? A bookend here, verse number 8. Don't be ashamed. Book in verse number 12. Paul says, but I am not ashamed. Will you say those words with me out loud? But I, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And then one of the, one of the most glorious, beautiful verses in the whole New Testament. Paul said, for I know. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Man, I tell you, I love what John MacArthur said. John MacArthur said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. If it was possible, you'd do it. I do it. You know why? Because we're flesh tanks. But I'm glad to remind you today that just like my salvation is not of my doing, my own doing, my eternal security is not of my own doing. Too many people think that that, that you get saved and then you got to jump up on the hamster wheel and you got to keep that, you got to run on that hamster wheel in order to stay saved, in order for God to love you, for God to approve of you. Friends, when you've been born again, you are a child of God. And God is watching over you and He's keeping you. You don't believe that? You ought to read John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, Jesus said, All the Father has given to me, they have come to me, and I hold them in my hand, and no man is able to pluck them out. Oh, please hear me today. Some of you have struggled with this through the years. I, I counsel with people that have two, three, four, five, six, eight, and ten professions of faith. What a frustrated life to live. When you've been born again by God's grace, God is watching over you. God is protecting you. And as Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, He is working that good work in you, and He will perform it until the day of redemption. So watch. If He's done that work in your life, there's no need to be ashamed. There's no need to be embarrassed. There's plenty of reason to be thankful and grateful. Amen? Second thing, verse 13 and 14 we're going to live this gospel out. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, not only you can't be embarrassed, you can't be ashamed, but then he says, pay attention to the details. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Don't miss that word sound there. Circle it. Highlight it. Write this word beside it. The word sound there is the word healthy. Healthy. I saw someone this week in social media, they posted, remember the days when we got well by eating chicken noodle soup? Yeah, I thought that was funny. How many of you know when you got a cold or something, ain't nothing like a bowl of chicken noodle soup, right? It's just you just feel nourished. You just It, it just helps you feel better, right? That is the word, not chicken noodle soup, but that's the word there for sound. It's healthy words. You see, church, that's why when we gather like this, we need some healthy words. We need healthy words. We don't need fluff. We need health. Timothy, I've given you some healthy, sound words, and you need to follow them. What do those words include? Those words include in the faith, pistis, and love, agape, that are in Christ Jesus. Watch. What are those healthy words? First of all, he says, those healthy words are biblical doctrine, following the doctrines of the Scripture. Church, today we need to follow the doctrines of the Scripture line upon line and precept upon precept because they bring nourishment and health to our souls. Why do we need to preach a clear, robust gospel, not a fluffy, watered-down, consumeristic gospel? Or you can pray a prayer, then go live any way you want to. you got your fire insurance. No, Jesus said, you come to me, you take up your cross and follow me. We, we do believe that, don't we? Take up your cross and follow me. Why do we preach a robust gospel? I've been saved since I was 13. That's about 37 years ago. Do you know hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ today, 37 years later, brings nourishment to my soul, that Christ died for me. I never want to get over that. Timothy, you stay close to the faith. You stay close to the love that we have in Jesus Christ, the agape love, the highest form of love, where Jesus came and he laid down his life for his friends. How are we able to do that? How can we follow the pattern? How can we pay attention to the details? Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good 
deposit entrusted to you. Now, isn't that interesting? Paul said, God is guarding you. He's watching over you. He's taking care of you. But Timothy, you've got a responsibility as well, and that is every day the best you can. As you wake up in the morning and you salute and you surrender to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you've got to guard the good deposit that's been given to you. How do you do that? By following the faith. Paul says, follow my example. Follow the instruction. I came here today to confess to you a weakness of mine. It's not the only one, but it's one of many. I am not good at following instructions. As a matter of fact, Jim Newton, one of our leaders, deacons here in the church, if I were to invite him up here right now, he would testify, and my wife will testify to this, of all the many times that I've called Jim on the phone, and I've said, Jim, brother, I love you. I appreciate you. You're one of the greatest Christians I know. You remind me of the Apostle Paul, and Jim will say, well, what do you want? What do you want? He knows that I don't have the patience. I mean, you open up that box or at Christmas time or something else that you bought for the house, and you look down in there, and there's 2,174 different pieces? Can I get a witness today? How many of you will come into my world and say, that stresses you out? How many of you are just like, I love the challenge? Wave at me. Come on. Okay, there's a few of you. There's a few of you. You people get on our nerves, right? No, I've watched Jim time and time again take those instructions written in who knows where and read through them piece by piece, detail by detail, and then he gets done and it's all together neatly. And there's no screws or brackets left. It amazes me, right? He has that patience to follow the instructions. How many of you want to run this race and end well? You want to end well? You want to, you want to end well? When the trumpet sounds or you die, do you want to end well? Then day by day and week by week. We've got to fall in love with the instructions. We've got to stay faithful to our Lord. We've got to follow the faith. We've got to live in love as we pay attention to the details. Let me finish up verse 15 to 18. The third thing that I see here about God working His purposes and His grace this really blesses me, and I hope it will bless you. In verses 15 to 18, Paul tells Timothy, be encouraged by those engaged. Be encouraged by those who are engaged. Now, verse 15, Paul kind of shares his heart with Timothy. He says, Timothy, you're well aware of what happened to me in Asia. Every single person. Everybody. Is that what the Bible says? All? All who are in Asia turned away from me. Paul knew the hurt of ministry. Paul knew the hurt of some that appeared to be on the team, engaged, all in. He mentions two men here. He mentions Phagellus and Hermogenes. Hermogenes appears in another place with Demas. You remember Demas? Paul said, Demas, 
has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas turned away. Hermogenes turned away. Phygelus, no doubt, the two of them were ringleaders that attacked Paul and probably questioned Paul and, and turned away from Paul, became an enemy of Paul. In my 30 years of ministry, I've learned this. I've learned not everybody sticks around. The Lord showed me one day, if people turn their back on the Lord Jesus, if people turn their back on the Apostle Paul and go away, what makes me think someone would never turn on me, right? I'm being transparent right now. Is that okay? Y'all got real quiet on me. I'm just telling you, it's, it's real. I can tell you pastor after pastor after pastor, friends of mine that have gone through things where people have turned on them, people have gone away, people have attacked them. And I'm going to tell you something, that's no fun. How many of you know in your personal life, and I'm glad I can preach this when I don't know of anything going on right now, right? So it's just in the text here. How many of you know in your personal life, you've got all of these blessings. Your life is just covered up in blessings. But you'll have a tendency to focus on one little negative or two little negative things. And you just get fixed on that. And the devil uses that to where you don't see all the other blessings. Did you know a pastor? A pastor can have 600 people and 598 of them be happy. But they'll think about those one or two that are mad at them, right? Or one or two that have gone away and you wonder if they're going to come back. That's part of being a shepherd and a pastor, right? And Paul's just opening it up here to Timothy. Timothy, get ready. You know what happened to me. And Timothy's reading this, and he's going, yeah, that's happened to me too. It's probably going to happen again. And then in verse 16, Paul shifts a totally different direction. And he focuses now on a man that encouraged him. Instead of the two that discouraged him, he focuses on Onesiphorus, and he says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. And here's that phrase again. And he was not ashamed of my chains. Circle that word refreshed in your Bible. Here's what it means. You know what it means to be refreshed. But it means life to my soul. Life to my soul. How many of you are thankful for people in your life who speak words of life to your soul? Words of encouragement. Words of encouragement. How how many of you really believe that we're all out there in the world? And when we come to a place like this, this ought to be a place of all the places that you can go. This ought to be a place where you come and people speak words into your life that just refresh you and bring life to your soul. You know, that's not just from the pulpit. That's something that ought to happen out here in the crowd. Think about it. People come in these doors every week. You have no idea what I'm going through. I have no idea what you're going through. But God said, y'all get together and refresh one another. Don't attack one another. Don't criticize one another. We've all got our stuff, right? Some of you might recognize the name George Truitt. 
George Truett was a pastor in Dallas, Texas. As a matter of fact, there's a Truett Seminary, a wonderful preacher of the gospel in George Truett's earlier years. He was on a hunting trip, and he accidentally killed his best friend, a pastor. In his life, the people that knew him said they never saw George Truett laugh again. That's sad for me, right? It, it, that breaks my heart. They said that, that thing just over... Now, here's a great... Known as a great, strong preacher, pastor, leader, orator, expositor. Every day, George Truett would do a radio broadcast. And they say at the end of his broadcast, he would always say, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. Be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. Now, that's not a Bible verse. That's not a Bible verse, but that's some good words right there. How many of you believe that ought to be the spirit of the local church and the body of Christ? That we nourish each other. We encourage each other. Encouragement. William Arthur Ward said this. He said, flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, I may not like you. Ignore me, I may not forgive you. But encourage me, and I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. You know what Paul was doing here in these last couple verses? He's sitting in a jail cell. He's about to die. He's going to be beheaded. And he says, oh, how much I appreciate Onesiphorus. Y'all know the work he did. Last phrase of the, of the chapter. You all know the wonderful service that he rendered in Ephesus. And when he got to Rome, he came and sought me out. Not to come to me and say, Paul, what kind of sin you got in your life? If you had sin in your life, you wouldn't be in prison here, right? Paul had experienced that right there. He had experienced that. But Onesiphorus came to him and said, hey, Paul, I love you. <laughs> I want to speak some life into your soul. Oh, what a blessing that is. Will you stand with me? Let me ask you. Don't, don't check out yet. Just stand up with me. Don't check out. How many of you can honestly say by God's grace, in this day and time as it's getting real, that you want to be that kind of Christian that breathes life? Amen. Yes, yes, yes. In these days, in these days, we can't be embarrassed because of our faith. We've got to pay attention to the details and then be encouraged as we're in the kingdom together and we encourage one another. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow your head with me?